best day still needs salvation. In some ways, if we do not stay down, circumstances will knock us down. Humility has nothing to do with circumstances though. Humility is a disposition of the heart that remembers that we need forgiveness even on our best day. On your best day, you still need salvation. You always need Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will remind you of this fact and encourage you to adopt a posture of humility each and every day. You need to remember that you are sinful by nature and that there's nothing you can do to change that fact. You also need to remember, though, that you have a great Savior and that by surrendering your life to Him, you have hope for the future. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jonah chapter 2 as he continues his message deep thoughts. The reason we are anxious is because we want human peace. We just want to make sure everything's okay. But God doesn't want to just give us a situational peace. God wants to give us a global overarching shalom or flourishing or true prosperity that has nothing to do with money. God wants to bestow that. It will guard not only our hearts, but our minds. See, prayer changes us because in prayer, we begin to appropriate the promises of God and God begins to reshape our hearts and our lives. But you have to ask yourself, when was the last time you really prayed? It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Remember before he was the Apostle, he was known as Saul of Tarshish. And Saul was a pretty mean dude. He didn't like these Christians. He was actually so passionately against Jesus as the Messiah that he made it his own personal mission to stamp it out of Judaism. And what's amazing, remember when he's going on that road to Damascus and he is blinded and knocked off his horse and he finds out that he's been persecuting Jesus, right? There's an apostle who the Lord speaks to, a disciple, and he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to go to this place and you're going to meet this man, Saul of Tarshish, and he says, behold, he prays. It's amazing. Saul of Tarshish had prayed three times every day, radically religious for his whole life. And it's like, no, no, no. Jesus is like, no, he's he's praying. It's like the first time in Saul's life, he is truly in a place of humility to say, God, what are you doing right now? My friends, listen, we need our houses, the temple of the Holy Spirit, our lives to be houses of prayer. You need your life to be a house of prayer. You need to let prayer change you because prayer is the word that we use for the conversation that God desires to have with us. 
When was the last time you prayed? And listen, no judgment. There's no judgment with that statement. But just the way if I were, if, we were, if this passage was about marriage, I would say, husbands, when was the last time you pursued your wife's heart like you did before you married her? Like when it was full court press, when you used to actually write her a letter, say sweet things. When was the last time you bought her flowers? Because, listen, guys know how to do that. They want to catch that gal. They go all out. When was the last? See, if we were talking about marriage, I'd be like, God, I'd be like, wives, when was the last time you respected your husband in a way that he could understand? But we're not talking about marriage. We're talking about prayer. And all I can say is, brothers and sisters, we need to be people of prayer. And if you say, look, I don't know how to pray. Listen, it's like anything. You just start doing it and you learn as you go. I'm here to tell you, my baby daughter, Annabelle, she can't say one intelligible word yet. We don't give her a hard time about it. She looks at us and she goes, you know, I love that. I start talking to her in languages. I'm speaking in tongues with my baby girl. And she loves it. She, you know, it's like I, we got a whole thing going on. I sing her songs and funny and just syllables. I feel like I'm Louis Armstrong, you know. I'm scatting with my little girl. And guess what? Nobody, it doesn't bother anybody. I'm not like, oh, Annabelle, listen, I am a very important person here. I'm the pastor of Crossroads. I preach the gospel. If you're going to speak to me, young lady, you need to speak very well and very proud. And you need to make sure you say everything right with good enunciation. Does anybody do that with a little baby? No. And guess what? If you've never prayed before, even if I can get out, Lord, I'm here. That delights the heart of God. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, I don't know how to pray. But I want to learn. No judgment. But you got to start somewhere. And for my baby girl, it's a bunch of nonsense. And if your prayers start with a bunch of nonsense, I believe God loves it. God is stoked when his kids decide to talk to him. Just the way any parent likes it. When their kid wants to talk to them. Except, of course, when they have 97,000 questions. Then some of you are like, oh, I listen, I got, a, I, got like, I got a nine-year-old at home. He's like, why, why this? Why that? Why that? Why are we? But that's, God's working on me. So I need to make sure if I'm going to use it, I need to use an appropriate analogy. But God loves it when his kids talk because prayer changes us. Now, from verses 2 to 9, we have this long prayer, this act of praise. It's a poem. It's a psalm of Jonah. Really, we, it's broken up into two parts here. You have kind of verses 2 to 7, which is really Jonah is going on and on about his circumstances, his predicament, where he is, what he's experiencing. He's in trouble. And then Verses 7, 8, and 9, and really verses 8 and 9, Jonah gets his eyes off of his circumstances, and he gets them onto the Lord, and he begins to praise God. Now, 
I didn't want to jump over that without making mention of that because in a lot of ways, that's the way we pray too, isn't it? We like, Lord, this is what's going on and this happened and this and, you know, and like, so we, it's like part of it is we have to get it out. We have to be able to say, look, this is what's going on. And then after we get our eyes and we explain our circumstances, then we can say, okay, I got all that out. Now I'm going to look at you, Lord. And, it, you know, it's easy. I could make jokes about that. It's kind of like telling the person who knows everything things that you don't think he realized along the way. You realize that, like, God knows everything, but God still likes it when we explain it to him. We call that confession, right? That word in the Greek, it literally means to say the same thing as. So when you're sharing your circumstances, it's not like the Lord, like, well, I totally missed that. I didn't realize that you had done that. No, see, God knows all of it, but God still gives us the space to work it out. I like that about the Lord. And that's a good lesson for us in communication with people, isn't it? How many of us don't have the patience for someone to tell us something that we already know? The character of God gives us, I was like, ooh, I'm preaching to myself on that one too. Because I'm like, I got it, let's go, come on. We got, ain't no one got time to go through this one more time, you know? But God gives us the space. God prepared all this for Jonah. Because Jonah ran, God did all this, but, and he still gives Jonah all this time to say, this is what's happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. And then Jonah gets through all that, and then he gets his eyes onto the Lord, which is where the change begins. But notice what he says. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me by the middle of verse 3. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me. Even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Now that is sea weeds, not kind bud or whatever. Verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountain, or the foundations or the bases. That's what moorings mean. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So there's so much poetic language here, right? Like Jonah's experiencing, he's not only in the water, but he's in the belly of this fish, and it's like the earth is closing in on him. Now, the principle for us is that when you're down, there is only up. That's the principle. When you're down, there's only up. For Jonah, this is no doubt, literally and spiritually, the low point of his life. Like, it doesn't get any worse than this. I couldn't have, maybe you could think of something worse than having spent three days in the ocean in the belly of a fish, but I can't. And you got to figure for a prophet of God, this is about as bad as it gets. But when you're down, there is only up. There's all these repeated references to Sheol. Some of your translations have the word hell. We have this reminder of the deep Sheol was the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for the abode of the dead. 
So we would call it hell or the grave. Sheol was the Old Testament word for the abode of the dead. And so he's saying, look, I cried out to God from death. That's what he's saying. And all these things. You cast me into the deep. He realizes that he's in there because of the Lord. It's interesting. It is because of the Lord. But why is Jonah cast into the deep? Because of his own decisions. Jonah put himself. If Jonah was headed right to Nineveh, none of this would have happened. And I think that's an important piece. Because I think for many of us, because Adam and Eve, when they realized they became self-conscious, they began to blame each other. How many of us blame other people rather than taking responsibility for our own stuff? It's so easy to say, I'm like this because of you. And the answer is no, you're like this because of you. We got to own our stuff. It's so easy to blame everybody else. I just had, I got an email from, from a brother and it was, everything was, it was somebody else's fault. Somebody else did it. I had a conversation with a guy this week. Same thing. It was everybody else. I'm like, listen, no, no, no. You got to own your stuff. Everyone else got to own their stuff. You're responsible for your business. And I'm like, maybe a pastor's not supposed to be so direct, but I don't know how to do it any other way. Because so many of us feel justified for being the way that we are because we're blaming somebody else. See, the only reason, the only reason Jonah's here is because Jonah made a bunch of decisions but he realizes God's sovereignty in it all. He's like, look, I'm here because you put me here. But really, Jonah's there because Jonah put himself there. And really, Jonah should be completely dead. But Jonah has an opportunity here because God didn't take his life as God ought to. And so Jonah goes on about all this different stuff. I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. See, you feel the wrestling in this poem, don't you? Because he's like, man, I'm, I'm in the, I'm underwater. Everything's coming, but yet there's this part of it's like, but I'm going to look to your temple. Remember I made the case that Jonah's patriotic inclinations overcame his spiritual sensibilities. I said that last week. Because he didn't want the Ninevites forgiven because of their oppression of the people, Jonah allowed his feelings of being a patriot for his people to supersede God's will for his life. Now we find God's will for his life welling up within Jonah. Even though he's getting closed in all around, I'm away from you, God. He can still, but yet I'm going to look to your temple. See, and I think for some of you right now, this is who you are right now. You feel like you're lost, but there's something in you that's reaching up for God. And know what the beautiful thing is about that? The Bible says that a bruised reed, God will not break. A reed that's over, God's not going to break in half, but he's going to support it. If you're here today and you're feeling down, the only way to go is up. And if you feel like, man, I've made a million decisions that's put me here, but I, I'm reaching up for God, I'm here to tell you, that's God's heart for you that you would reach up. It reminds me of so many places in the Bible, like Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. See, 
If you're here today, you're like, I'm lost, I'm down, I'm beat up. Man, Jesus came to seek and to save someone just like you. If you feel that I am in trouble here, it reminds me of Luke chapter 5, verse 31, when Jesus said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the gospel is that those who are well don't go to the doctor. But those who are sick, they go to the doctor. And if you're here today and you're like, look, I don't got it together. I feel like I'm down. I've made a million mistakes. My own mistakes have pushed me away from the presence of God. The Bible says that Jesus said, that's exactly who I came to save. And the problem for the religious people of Jesus' day, which is also the problem for many of us as Christians today, is we've gotten it all together so well that we really don't need Jesus. We just got our morality. And it's amazing that you find people come as sinners to a Savior, and then they think that they're well, and they become self-righteous, and they don't need Jesus anymore. And I believe for many of us, we're there right now, too. Unlike Jonah, or unlike those people who you just feel, I'm so far gone, I've totally, and I, I'm just grasping for God, and I'm here saying, look, and Jesus is here to save you, because he's looking for someone just like you. There's a whole group of other ones of us who you've been in church long enough that you don't do anything wrong, and you don't like everyone who does anything wrong, and I can't believe that he wouldn't get a haircut, or I can't believe that they would wear ripped jeans or pajama pants to church. This is the house of the Lord. Or, 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 or. Because you're not trying to be saved by Jesus. You're trying to be saved by your own works, which is exactly why they rejected Jesus in the New Testament, because they had the laws, and they had them keeping the laws. And they're like, we don't need a Messiah because we got this thing dialed in all by ourselves. And that is religion in the most negative sense. If you can look down your nose at somebody else, if you can judge somebody based on their appearance, or a mistake that they made that you're going to define their whole lives through, you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in your own works. And listen, you got the book of Galatians, Romans. You got all of Paul's letters are dealing with that subject. You got one-third of your New Testament, which deals with don't be that way. Because the key for you and I is to always stay in the humble place that says, I need a Savior. That's the key. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for a hundred years or you're going to start walking with him today. The key is to always say, I am always in need of a savior. Me on my best day still needs salvation. In some ways, if we do not stay down, circumstances will knock us down. Humility has nothing to do with circumstances though. Humility is a disposition of the heart that remembers that we need forgiveness even on our best day. And the key for us is even if you don't have all those things you used to do and you stop doing all those things, to still stay in the place that says, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, I can't do anything apart from you. Lord, anything good that I do, you did it. Anything bad that's happened, it's my bad. 
We need to stay in the sinner's place because that's where the action is. Now, by the time verse seven hits, we find that there's a shift here. It says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayers went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. My friends, we need to focus on the Lord and rejoice. That's what we learn here. You get your eyes off your circumstances, you focus on the Lord, and you rejoice. You see now that Jonah has gotten his eyes off of his circumstances, and he's placed his eyes now upon the Lord. I remember the Lord, it says. My heart was renewed in the Lord. And my prayers went up to you. And then he thinks back in verse 8 to the boat dudes, right? Those who regard worthless idols, they forsake their own mercy. He's remembering these boat dudes who were praying out to all these different gods, gods of this and that, these little statues that they probably had with them because that was the culture that they lived in. And he says, no, 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 I, I remember those guys too who regard worthless idols. But he says, but I will sacrifice to you. With thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. And then he says, salvation is of the Lord. See, this reminds me of Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to read this little section to you. Verses 19 to 26. The prophet Jeremiah wrote these words. Remember my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Then I recall in my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, he's seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and he realizes it, but he says, but God's compassions don't fail. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you of the incredible power of prayer. When you cry out to the Lord, you can expect that He hears you. He wants you to know Him and His immense love for you and the plans that He wants to share with you. Pastor Daniel reminded you to be humble, to adopt a posture of the heart that remembers your need for Jesus, for rescuing from the sin that takes a hold of you and doesn't let go. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love 
for people around you. And that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will share the encounter Jonah finally has with the people of Nineveh. This prophet of God will finally do as he was instructed. The powerful and urgent message he'll share will have a profound effect on the people of Nineveh. Pastor Daniel will also be encouraging you to remember why you needed salvation in the first place. It's due to the sin in your life. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Rebel. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.